0: it's based on a Linda LaPlante story which I don't know how much of it is is based on that but the script is just great and some of the scenes in it are just there's kind of like more style in some of like the one or two minute scenes than some entire kind of films in this genre the soundtrack's great the cast is stacked good dog acting and yeah I, I when you picked it i was like oh yes this is gonna be good i'm a big fan of this one it's a good one. hey everybody today we are recording with marshall hi there hafa hello and as always kobe howdy and we're talking today about widows
1: enjoyed this episode of flicks watch podcast why not give us a five star review on itunes or spotify or anywhere you can give us a rating follow us on twitter at flicks pod and we're also on instagram at flicks thanks as always to the mighty mighty people for their tunes they can hear right now and to rockwood audio for their editing skills and if you're looking for someone to edit a podcast as sweet as this then do get in touch with rockwood audio that's r-o-k-k-wood
0: welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Rafa and Marshall. Over to you please Rafa to tell the listeners
2: a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Hi, everyone. My name is Hafa Salas ross I am Brazilian Colin and I am a freelance film writer and programmer. You can often see my writing on Variety, Science, sound, sound, Little Eyes, and more. And programming-wise, I was the programmer at the Edinburgh Film Festival for the last few years, and I program and curate specialist seasons around the UK.
1: How to get into programming films? Because I think that must be such a, I don't know, a weirdly powerful thing, because I'm sure, I'm, I know... I get many people all the time asking, recommending films for them to watch, but you're actually programming, I don't know.
2: To be fair, in a way, you are also programming films by putting on a podcast with recommendations. But I think <laughs> programming <laughs> is a very complicated combination of luck and obsession. <laughs> Being at the right time, watching an awful lot of films, and I am very lucky and very obsessed.
1: When we recommend films... I'm saying the royal way, everyone, when you recommend a film and someone doesn't like it, do you feel that more or less as a programmer? Or do you feel a bit more distance from it when you like, you champion the film that you think, right, let's give this little engine a bit of a runway so lots of people can see them? And then does it feel good when people love it? Or just conversely, how does it feel when people don't take to it in the way you hoped?
2: This is going to sound like a beauty pageant kind of answer, but I swear it's true. At the end of the day, I'm just thrilled that they showed up and they watched the film. I think cool. this is literally the biggest compliment. Even yeah. if they don't like it, it tells me something about themselves and I learn a little bit. But just having people show up to me, like the greatest thing to be in a room of people watching a film that you vouch for is, is quite a, an incredible experience. Nice.
3: Way to go, Miss Aberdeen. <laughs> And world peace.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Howdy, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want like the I end like of climate change. <laughs> yeah, and world peace. Yeah.
1: I want to myself, Marshall.
3: Hey, everyone. My name is Marshall Schaefer. I'm a New York-based freelance journalist. I am all over the web, but you can find me most frequently doing interviews at Slant Magazine, reviewing for the Playlist and Slash Film providing streaming coverage at Decider and in <laughs> what little spare time I have, also writing a newsletter on Substack called Marshall and the Movies.
1: Well, tell us about Substack, because do people pay and subscribe to your Substack or is it a free one that you do? It's both.
3: I try to give a good amount of free content. I usually try to do two newsletters a week. One is a little bit more of kind of a top 10 streaming list sort of listicle type content. The paying version that usually comes out over the weekends is usually a little bit more in-depth. Sometimes it's an interview with someone who I think is really interesting, usually a fellow film writer. Oftentimes it's a deeper dive into a film that I think is deserving of attention. Sometimes it's just random things that come to me off the top of my head. It really just depends. And I appreciate those, like Hoffa, who are willing to pay a little bit extra to see what kind of wild card pops up in their inbox every weekend.
2: It's literally the price of a coffee a month and is incredibly worth it. Marsha once sent a newsletter about films that you can watch it on an elliptical machine. <laughs> and I find that to be incredibly useful. And also Marsha is very, very witty. And the newsletter is a pleasure. So it's the price of a coffee and you guys can do it and subscribe monthly.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I do see people in gyms with their iPads more and more, or their phones more and more, watching the thing while sat on a trainer or a a bike. And I I myself watch Best Call Saul at the moment whilst on my bike trainer. So I think it is a genuine thing, isn't it? Like, oh, yes. Time poor, trying to squeeze as many things into one go as possible. And it's like, hey, why not? Why not? Otherwise, it's, it's making not dead time, it's augmenting the time you have, isn't it?
3: Yes economists call it temptation bundling. It's when you can make yourself do an activity that you maybe don't want to do. Freakonomics podcast. Yes, which for me is going to the gym with something that I do enjoy, which is watching movies, and you get the best of both worlds.
1: So yeah, I heard that, what's that Freakonomics podcast, I heard that same thing, and it put a name to something I was doing already at the time, and I I go to the extreme where like I can't watch Best Call Saul anywhere apart from when I'm on that on the turbo trainer, I can't watch it when I'm in my lounge. It has to be, if I want to watch the next episode of Course it has to be when I'm on the bike trainer. So like things like that. Anyway, you chose the film we're talking about today. We're talking about Widows. Can you tell us first of all, why you chose it? And then we'll go to the synopsis, which will take 60 seconds or less.
3: Sure, well, I chose it primarily because in the other episode, which uh, Hoffa chose the film, she chose a film called Nine Days, which I hadn't seen. And I thought I should return the favor by choosing a film that she had not seen. And after what felt like an, yes, which felt like an hour of going through Letterboxd and cross-referencing what's on UK Netflix with what she's logged on Letterboxd, I found maybe two movies and only one of them I wanted to actually watch again. And I texted her or I I WhatsApped her.
1: It begs a question. Yes.
3: So I I WhatsApped her and I go, Wait, have you really not seen Widows? Is that just an accent? She's like, Marshall, forgive me. I only watched the first 20 minutes. It's like, oh, we're making you watch the full thing because it's incredible. And so here we are.
1: <laughs> awesome. Can you tell us the synopsis and the timer starts now?
3: Sure. So Viola Davis stars as Veronica Rawlings. She is married to Liam Neeson's Harry, who is a bank robber. In the beginning of the film, he's shown pulling off a heist that does not go so well. He and his four-man crew all die, or so we think. Veronica is pressured by a sort of mob boss figure who's trying to get into local politics in Chicago, where the film is set, played by Brian Tyree Henry. In order to get the money, she's really forced with no other option than to... Finished the job that her late husband left behind. She assembles the titular widows, the other ex wives, or the people who are married to the other people who were in the heist. Of course, none of these people have any experience doing anything in the larceny or organized crime racket. They also run afoul Colin Farrell's Jack Mulligan, who's a politician trying to run for the same district as Brian Tyree Henry's Jamal. And chaos and a great time ensues. And that's about 60 seconds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a timer. There's so many characters, it's...
0: <laughs> That's a lot.
1: <laughs> People will talk about a few of the characters, but half of it's interesting. It's your first time watching it. First of all, why did you stop after 20 minutes the first time? And second of all, are you glad you watched it all the way through this time?
2: Well, to be fair, it is great shame that I had not watched this until the end. But when it came out, I was working at a cinema and I watched the first 20 minutes and something happened and someone pulled me out of the screening And I don't know why I never came back to it. I think I watched it again the next... I tried to watch it again on a plane and I fell asleep, which is really terrible because I actually quite enjoyed the film. It's just the circumstance. But I'm a big Steve McQueen fan, massive Viola Davis fan, and most of all, the biggest fan of plot twists of all time. I love great plot twists. So I'm really glad that Marshall was a trooper and perused (laughs) my letterbox and found something I had not watched because this was a delight. What a great time.
1: I don't often know the story behind why people choose a film, but this sounds like one of the most, not torturous, you've worked hard to choose a film here and especially because guys if you're listening we only talk about films on UK Netflix so Marshall was looking cross-referencing with what's available on his Netflix or just available for him to get not necessarily on Netflix before we could talk about it as well so you're doing like yes joining the strings in a lot of different places so I mean kudos to you
0: done the homework
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
3: this was my version of pulling off a giant bank robbery inside Colin Farrell's ancestral Chicago home
1: The real heist was the friends we made along the way. Helen, <laughs> did you seem—I know you like a bit of Steve McQueen, don't you?
0: I do. I really like Steve McQueen's film. I didn't see this at the cinema, but I saw it relatively soon when it kind of came out. Like, how do you follow Twelve Years a Slave? I think was kind of where, where he was probably at, and I just don't understand why it wasn't like really, really huge and people don't still talk about it because I think it's great script is amazing we've got Gillian Fling coming in with the kind of it's based on a Linda LaPlante story which I don't know how much of it is is based on that but the script is just great and some of the scenes in it are just there's kind of like more style in some of like the one or two minute scenes than some entire kind of films in this genre the soundtrack's great the cast is stacked. Good dog acting. And yeah, I, <laughs> I, when you picked it, I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be good. I'm a big fan of this one. It's a good one.
3: I was keen to revisit it. I had quite the opposite to Hoffa. I had probably the ideal viewing experience. I was at the world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival with a packed house and their giant auditorium and the crowd went nuts. And I think I probably left that screening with a sense that it was going to play a little bit better than it did. And I think part of it might have been the way it was marketed. I think it is a very tricky film to get people to connect with in some regards, because it is both a little bit too brainy for your kind of average Sunday afternoon cable thriller, but it's a little bit too pulpy action for the kinds of people who really wanted to sit with the really like gallery art inspired rhythms of mcqueen's previous films like hunger shame and 12 years a slave and i mean you think of someone who was really trying to make a conscious next step after winning an oscar for something that is pretty tough territory to go and make this really confident genre film that has a lot to say and is really just perfectly executed i mean i really can't think of someone who's had a better kind of follow up to something that is so tough and so tricky, like 12 Years a Slave.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at, I have this thing about directors, I call it three for three, like actors, directors have got the three directors, the three first films all being absolute stellar films. I haven't seen Hungry yet because I just, my, in my gut, I'm like, I don't want to watch it. But Shame, 12 Years a Slave are all super hard watches as well in their own way. So this is him almost like a palate cleanser, but but also not because there's still some tough stuff that happens here. But compared to what goes on in hunger and, and Twobby as a slave, you know, like he's having a laugh here in this film. I really enjoyed this. I don't, I don't understand why, like you said, it hasn't got to the heights in the way I think it could do. This is the first time I saw Brian Tyree Henry from memory, for example, thinking he's great. Love the fact he's, you know, he plays Miles Morales' dad in Spider-Verse. He's in plays a fantastic role in Atlanta, Daniel Kaluuya, we've had him on this podcast a few times and Get Out and Sicario and always champion the British actors, making it big in, in American films. And he is terrifying. He's this so film. scary. This, this guy's not big, but he's absolutely terrifying. Yeah.
2: Not only is he terrifying, but I think the best scene of the entire film involves his character when Colin Farrell is introduced to him and the name of Daniel Kaluuya's character <laughs> is Jotem. <laughs> Colin Farrell says... I love you too. I laughed. I had to pause the film on Netflix because I laughed so much. I started to choke. This is the kind of intelligent joke that I love so much. And just to say you were talking about, you don't know why this film was popular. I am going to be the feminist in the room and be like, because this is an action film with women leads. I think it puts off a lot of people watching and looking for a good heist movie, that this film was marketed as being about the widows and the women and having this incredible female ensemble, not to be that person, but being that person. I do think a lot of it has to do
1: with that. I mean, that's unfortunately an annoyingly fair point, but you'd, you'd like to think that, you know, 2018 people are still thinking, well, it's, if it's a good film, it's based on the book, it's based on TV show that people know, that it would bring more to it. I don't know how well it did actually, it maybe did better than uh, we say, but. I guess, by our initial musings, we expected to probably be.
3: It did okay box office wise.
1: Did it behave box office wise? It did
3: okay. It didn't do great business. I think it probably think it did okay made most, yeah. sure. You know, it made respectable business, but I think they were also pitching it as a little bit more of an awards play, and it really didn't get much traction there. Which I think goes back to the point that I was making about how it's kind of it's pitched a little bit too in the middle for both sensibilities, and people I think have a bit of trouble categorizing what exactly it is
1: and who it's really for. And I would definitely not have had this as an awards contender, maybe because of Steve McQueen's pedigree, even though this is only his fourth film. That was maybe why they've been, you know, pitching it as that kind of play. But I this isn't I was supposed to see any kind of film could be boosted for a place for an, an award, but I don't think this is the kind of film that would win them. And if it was played down that kind of route, then I can see that why that might have been detrimental to its overall box office as well. For for me, this is a, hey, look at the big cast. This is maybe knocked down from Ocean's Eleven in terms of cast and see what we're doing kind of thing. But you're not an awards contender, certainly.
3: Yes, I agree with you there. And I think maybe the fact that I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival, where it was kind of pitched as one of the big flashy movies, puts it automatically in that kind of category for me. But when you're thinking about this film on the substance, I was so struck watching it again for this podcast, it is so smart on so many issues. It is so politically attuned. It has so many really insightful things to say about gender and politics and class and so many things that are, it's not necessarily making a very declarative statement about them, but it's asking you to engage with how these forces that are outside the characters are impacting them. And I don't think it wraps up a lot of what it has to say in a neat tidy box. It doesn't give you these four kick-ass girl boss heroines that are really easy to root for. They're thorny, they're complicated, they make mistakes, but they present altogether this vision for how the world can be different or how the world would look slightly changed with Women and their feminine experiences leading these things, and how it would be different if it's not just them trying to ape what a man would do in the same scenario. I think the way that Viola Davis's Veronica leads the group and tries to find some sort of compassionate leadership as opposed to just ruling by brute force is really fascinating. And the way that she embodies leadership is so different than anything that you're anticipating from the kind of ringleader of a group in a film like an Ocean's Eleven or a different kind of heist film.
1: She's a very jagged kind of leader, isn't she? She's forced to do this and she's not apologetic about, okay, the person they thought was gonna be a driver is dead. She's sad about it, obviously, but also like, we need to do this thing and it's just all get on with it. She doesn't let the the, the other women, the other people in the crew slack off, even there's it was key reasons why things didn't go right in the planning. She's not taking note for an answer. And that's a really interesting way to do, it. especially if, the, if this is your first heist, if all four people are new to the crime world, as, as in getting their hands dirty for the first time in crime, you'd think there might be some kind of leeway or whatever, but she's just there, she was focused, had a clear idea what to do and unrelenting to it as well. And I think, I mean, Baila Davis is like one of our best actors like just ever. And this is probably where I stood up and was like, okay, Viola, great, great. Well done. We need to see more of you. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Well, I guess one thing too that we haven't really mentioned yet is that she's dealing with grief. Not only the grief of over the loss of her husband, or so she thinks, wink wink, it's revealed very late in the film in a way that I don't think I remembered being quite so prominent is that she and Harry, her late husband, had lost a son in a very tragic way, in a sadly very common American occurrence of a unarmed young black man being shot by the police and again it's something that i think a lesser film would really put in the foreground and make you think of her as just bereft widow defined by her loss and it is so much about resilience and holding on to some core of yourself in the face of those things and not letting it define you That makes it so
2: unique and so powerful. That's a very good point. It's what I was going to mention because I think Widows has something very powerful in the combination of a star and Viola Davis, who's an incredibly versatile actress who's so attuned to the fine craft of acting in the way that she communicates emotions in stillness and in quietness. And a filmmaker like Steve McQueen, who is so skilled in representing very thorny political issues in a way that doesn't really destabilize genre and form in film he's truly one of the best in this aspect and the, the idea of the believed mother and especially the believed black mother in america is a trope that can be so commonly used in detrimental ways and in really reductive ways and here it is such a great aid in this notion that of course is an incredible gang leader. Of course, is an incredible ranger. She has gone through literally the worst thing a human being can go through, the sort of bereavement. So of course, losing her husband and losing her entire life and the structure that she was in is an awful form of grief and an awful form of sudden loss. But this is a woman that has seen the worst that she can see. So she's a very, even though she's not necessarily the most charismatic of characters, it's very easy to have empathy towards her because You just find in this pain and this resilience, this forced resilience, such a a beautiful example of one of the worst parts of the human experience. And even though there is an amazing supporting cast, it is her the backbone of this film in that performance that is giving away these little details and the way that the film begins with a little whiskey bottle and the way that she touches her husband and the form of intimacy. There's no words, there's no dialogue in that intimacy at the beginning of the film. And of course, what can you say to each other after you've been through this? That immensity of the silence and the intimacy that is formed after that, I think is really beautiful, that first scene.
1: To we talk about the supporting cast? Because it is immense. We have, we talked about Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, probably one of the finest roles I've seen her in terms of an acting position. Elizabeth Debicki, I don't think we see enough of her, although I haven't seen The Crown, so perhaps one thing. It's the first time I've seen Cynthia Rivreau and- It's her debut. Well, yeah, well, exactly right. <laughs> well, she was on stage beforehand, wasn't she, in, in Colour Purple? And I'm looking forward to seeing more of her coming from this. Colin Farrell, I forget he's in this mm-hmm. before he's on.
2: He's so <laughs> good about, in this. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's,
1: Accent work, phenomenal. Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall, Brian Tyrone, and who else was I trying to. You We're know, smashing a, a caricoon There's someone else that wants to pick up on. Oh, John like John, and
3: John Bernthal. And John
0: Burnthal. Brian, a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Jackie Thank Weaver has
3: like randomly a scene or two and is great. <laughs> the Robert Duvall is interesting. I don't think I fully appreciated I think it's such fascinating meta casting because you think of Robert Duvall, at least in. Me being an American man, I think of The Godfather, and I had not really linked those two films in my head, but I think they open up a fascinating conversation with each other, and if you will indulge me, the ultimate in pretension, I went and found a great line from my beloved Pauline Kael, who wrote this about The Godfather, starring Robert Duvall, and I think it applies so beautifully to Widows as well. She said, in The Godfather, we see organized crime as an obscene, symbolic extension of free enterprise and government policy, an extension of the worst in America, its feudal ruthlessness. Organized crime is not a rejection of Americanism. It's what we fear Americanism to be. It's our nightmare of the American system. And I think that applies so beautifully to widows as well.
1: We've had, in this year's record, Anatomy of a Fall, one the palm door, but also one the palm dog. Since then, I look for great acting from not just dogs in the film, but but good animals. And the dog in this film was part of uh, uncovering a plot twist, which I was talking about. I guess I was just generally quite fun, <laughs> fun generally in this film. Great name. What was the name of the dog? I know Olivia.
3: It is Olivia. the same dog from Game Night that Jesse Plemons holds on oh, to. Oh, is it? It is. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Olivia. How can this
2: be profitable for Olivia?
3: How can that be profitable for Fredo Lay and Olivia? Olivia's Making Bank in 2018. (laughs) Fun fact, I interviewed Liam Neeson a few years after this film came out. And this is a story he brought up entirely of his own volition. But he was talking about vocal work. And he told the story about working with Olivia's ma, or trainer, on the set. And he said, I'm supposed to go rah-rah to this dog. And he came in, and the dialect coach ran in and says, Liam, you're doing the the dog sound wrong, accent-wise. It should be woof-woof. Use the back of your throat. (laughs) And he goes, are you kidding me? Were that in the weeds on it? No, it actually mattered. Yes, I just thought that was wonderful. And he said he eventually relented and
1: went (laughs) (laughs) woof-woof. I've heard stories about really high-profile actors not moving from their spots until they heard the right intonation to make that move or to make the, you know, respond. So this is just Olivia doing the same, right? She's just mm-hmm. waiting for the right impetus to do it properly. It's like, before that, she's like, who's this guy? You can't even like speak dog properly, <laughs> what we're we doing. Is there anything else guys want to say before we head to the scores?
2: No, I think I just want to say that for whoever's looking for a really entertaining watch to just go towards widows and to just involve people in it. Cause I think the revelation of the plot twist and the little things that happen throughout, it's one of those films that is really well enjoyed with other people. So I think at this time of the year, um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but I suppose even at the beginning of the year when you have some time in your family and in the UK when you're closing up for film night, this is such a good choice. I'm just happy I saw it and such a different kind of offering from Steve McQueen, who I am used to, to going into a, quite a guarded stance because his films have quite a destructive emotional impact on me. And I've just watched Occupied City, his latest documentary, and that put me in a very odd trance for quite some time. Is that the
1: one in, based around London?
2: In Amsterdam. So he lives okay. He lives in Holland um, nowadays, and uh, it's this incredible investigation of the historical ripples of Amsterdam and, and the war. Anyway, I'm not going to get too much into Occupied City, but after having seen that recently... To see a filmmaker who is capable of doing that and then something like Widows is so incredible. I don't think we have many other filmmakers who are operating on the same level as Steve McQueen and who is still, even though he's an Oscar winner and he has had hit after hit, still somewhat overlooked. And overlooked in the UK at times, which is incredibly frustrating. So I'm really glad that you get something like Windows so widely available on Netflix for people to see. And to really see him just doing a bonkers, incredible classic heist with an unhinged Daniel Kaluuya that gave me (laughs) chills. I didn't know he was capable of such evil.
3: No, same. If only there were someone who could commission a book about Steve McQueen. This is a bone to a mutual friend of ours who has a book's worth of ideas on Steve McQueen and is trying to find somebody to pay her to write the book. And I would love nothing more than to read it. So this is my hope that I can manifest it through this.
1: (laughs) Well, our, our podcast manifests nothing so far, but why this could be the first one. I believe in us. One thing I want to say before going to the scores is, one of the podcasts I produce, we did feature Linda LaPlante, and I did ask her about her thoughts on Widows, and she wasn't that big a fan of the film adaptation. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put it down there now. So there are people who, obviously, it's really, it's closest to her mind and chest than anyone else in the world, but still, there's obviously people who didn't get on with it, which might have alluded to why it didn't score as highly in the box office as we would have wanted it to do. But now... For the scores.
3: I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media Family. A podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow stripped media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
0: Welcome to the Flixwatcher scores, all of the scores out of five. You can have decimal places if you wish, and we will start with you, please, Marshall, with your recommendability.
3: I'll give this a 4.5. I think in terms of, as I've been saying, people who want something a little bit artier, people who want something a little bit more entertainment value, I think you can see what you want to in this. It's entirely possible to just enjoy this as a pure thriller. You can see a lot of the political side of it if you want. You can see the aesthetic rigor of it, which we haven't even mentioned that incredible single shot from the car where you see gentrification yeah. in action. It is just incredible. And I think the craftsmanship of someone like a Steve McQueen in a standard genre film, just elevates it so much, even if all you want is just the good time and watching four badass women pulling off a heist. How
2: i will give this the full five i think this is a film that works in so many aspects it's a film that is entertaining that is so clever that i imagine myself picking it apart and rewatch. even my husband whose favorite film is just vin diesel (laughs) the category he will only watch things with explosions when he saw there was an explosion he was into it
1: right at the start and also it's got michelle rodriguez in it as well
2: He was like, oh my God, it's Vin Diesel's girlfriend, explosions. He was so into it. And then we got into gentrification and this is how you teach them kids. You get them with the explosions. (laughs) So it's such a good time. I imagine myself watching this with friends, but also with my in-laws, with my dad. This is a film that works in so many levels. And I imagine myself revisiting with other people as well.
0: The only person I wouldn't recommend it to then is probably Linda Laplan herself, but like everyone else, <laughs> like you should watch it. It's got a stacked cast. It's clever, but it's not too clever that it's pretentious. And I really love Alice's journey. You kind of like, she's kind of the, the blonde, stupid bombshell kind of. She's beautiful, but she's...
1: But not ex- stupid though, I think.
0: Well, this is it. That She's kind of set up a little bit like that and... like mini journey everyone kind of goes on like this mini journey through the heist and watching it this time around I really got into Alice and I I really really liked her but yeah it's great it's a fun one you know what I'm gonna give it a five as well why not fun for all the family
1: I can't give it a full five but it's gonna be up there 4.75 yeah I, I enjoyed it more the second time second viewing I did watch it in the cinema when it first came out I remember enjoying it although I don't remember thinking about it too much afterwards. And I think this time I will do. I didn't see the twist coming, which is not unusual because I'm not a big, I'm stupid with twists, but that's how I'd like to be too much. I don't, if I saw it when I'm ahead of a film or TV show, I, I hate it so much. So when the dog, the in fact, the thing I perhaps would prefer is that, that Carrie Coon's character didn't open the door to reveal it was properly Liam Neeson after that, and maybe that, that would have been a nice thing to wait until he stepped out into the garage at the end.
2: Oh, but I just love the fact of this man who thinks he's the king of the world, who thinks he's so mighty, reduced to just hiding in a closet after being sniffed by a tiny lady dog.
1: Yep. Now, I like the hiding in the closet. I think, and Viola Davis's character knowing it's him, I think it, w- it would have been interesting to see for the rest of the audience not to actually see his face and Carrie couldn't open the door. Because she knows it's him. The dog doesn't... A lot of people like me perhaps wouldn't realise exactly what's going on and have it it explained afterwards. And I kind of like that thing. That's just me being selfish, potentially.
3: I think if that's like the one stop he has to make to the very obvious, here is this plot point delivered to you on a platter, I'm willing to take (laughs) it because there's so much and not to get too ahead of ourselves with the repeat viewing, but there's so much that he hides. It's like a major scene is taking place like just outside of the frame where the camera pans away and you don't see the person getting beat up or like the way that he edits something is not the way that you would think to edit it. And I'm, I'm willing to give him that one indulgence.
1: <laughs> that might've been studio interference, knowing, knowing Steve McQueen. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, guys watch it. Repeat viewing score, Marshall.
3: It's a five for me. I think in terms of, I think anytime you're watching a genre film like this, even though you are kind of familiar with the beats of the story, you're still watching it primarily for plot first. I think the second viewing for me opened up so much in terms of the themes and the characters. To Helen's point about just what a vast ensemble it is and how you can kind of connect to different people's arcs in it. And they all feel so complete. I think this time I saw so much more in... The Mulligan family, which is Colin Farrell and Robert Duvall, this kind of political powerhouse dynasty in Chicago. And it makes such an interesting contrast for what is it that men just inherit and what is it that women just kind of assume and that these women have to take up all this burden. These men have everything handed to them on a platter and that Viola Davis and Veronica is faced with you know potential life ruin. And for Colin Farrell's Jack, it's just shame. It's being a stain on the family. And I think it's so fascinating that the film has all these layers that you can continue to pick into without losing a shred of entertainment
1: value. I enjoyed the way more, or realized more, how much Colin tried to stand up to his father in this, but then also quickly relented. Mm -hmm. It just kind of goes to show, even to the stage when Veronica was, was there to have a chat with Colin, intermixing the actor and character's name in this. I apologize. And his dad was just like, no, you will take this. This is the teachers' union. You have to take this meeting. Colin's a puppet at this point, being manipulated by his father, but trying to take a stand. And it's, it's such a weirdly experienced relationship, which I feel is very, very true to life. I think a lot of this is very true to life, apart from maybe the heist in itself, but I think everything else was kind of grounded in, in very much the reality that we're seeing in a lot of political areas. Rafa, you're repeating in school.
2: I also think it's a five. I can see myself viewing this again and again. I think it's one of those films that will not lose its entertainment value once you know the twist. I think it's something that you can even do it slightly passively. You can have it on the background. It's a film that you might become familiar, that might become a comfort watch in some ways. And yeah, I think it's a very clever, very entertaining film and I can see myself watching over and over again.
0: Yeah, I'm going to give it a four.
2: Like the first watch is kind of, oh, this
0: is fun. This is good. Yeah. What's going on? Like, oh, it's a twist. Yeah. Go girls. Woo. And then the second time is a bit more like you kind of know where the bits are coming. So it's like, what else can you spot? And I made like a few notes this time around. Like when one of the characters is crying and Veronica says crying isn't on the list. Like there's, there's just these little lines that are like really, really good singers and the... towards the end when Alice and Veronica are in the cafe and there's just this incredible mirror shot, which is just, it's so beautiful. Like, Steve McQueen, I love you. Please, please make us more films because it's just, it's so incredible. I definitely want to watch this again because it's got such an energy and there's just so many bits to enjoy, even though you kind of know what's coming and you know what the twist is. So I'm going to give it a four.
1: I think another slight niggle would be that after that shot in the restaurant, Veronica does meet Alice, or she speaks to him though Alice is off screen. I was like, I think maybe it could have ended in the restaurant where they acknowledge each other. that there's no beef. There's a definite kind of shared kinship there. Was it a step too far to have them chatting?
2: I think it's great because Viola Davis's character spends the entire film saying, we are here together once. We're not gonna see each other again. And she puts this stuff aside. But once it's pulled out, you realize that she wants company, that she's lonely, that she's reaching out to other people. I think that final piece of dialogue when she's reaching out to to very tall Elizabeth the bicycle is you see her outside of that panic mode and you get to experience that loneliness and that desire for companionship that you know is there has been suppressed by urgency so i think it's quite beautiful actually i'm gonna disagree with you slightly
3: i think it might be a little bit ham-handed in the way that it's executed but i think it is to half point totally in line with this vision that the film has for what does true leadership look like that will upend these established systems of capitalism and political patronage it's ultimately succeeding alongside each other and not at somebody else's expense and I think that's a fairly radical notion, and it's asking us to think about what that looks like.
1: Perfectly, I'm going three point nine for that small screen score. Marshall, I'll give it a four.
3: I think it plays very well at home, as if you know. I think this is a, a film that is in many ways made for being played with commercial breaks on a cable network, watching it with your dad whenever you know sports aren't on. I do think it loses a little bit of something not watching it with a big crowd. Again, I am incredibly biased because I watched it with arguably the best crowd there ever will be to watch yeah, this Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We'll premiere twenty I know, blah, I know. blah.
3: But I think even just watching it <laughs> otherwise, I mean, the crowd went nuts whenever Robert Duvall took that bullet. Like everyone hated him. And that was a moment of just pure catharsis. Granted, I think this is maybe early Trump administration, we're like, yes, the guy who said the N-word got shot. Amazing. He did it. <laughs> Puffa?
2: I think, yeah, it's a four. I do think you would benefit from a big screen experience, as Marshall's saying, because you're watching it with other people. I think all the good Heist movies, films of plot twists, whenever you're seeing with others, it's such a great experience. And also, every time you're mentioning Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall comes in my head not because of The Godfather, but because of Deep Impact, legitimately and (laughs) unsarcastically, one of my favorite films of all time. And that performance is just absolutely incredible. So whenever Robert Duvall shows up, I'm like, I am here for it. This is going to be wonderful. And this performative situation he's in, when you know he's just that incredibly mean type of racist, but whenever there's something for him on the table, you put that facade that is so terrifying of like, of course you need to see her she's with the teachers union and um, there's something on the table it's terrifying he's on screen for maybe five minutes in the entire film and he's so good i just loved seeing him in a really great Robert robot event.
1: so what's your small screen score sorry half four four helen
0: yeah i'm gonna go with the four club as well i think it works fine on your tv at home but yeah i well, retrospectively i would have liked to have seen this with a crowd
1: i i Maybe going a bit lower than you guys, because I did see it in the cinema, not a, after, you know, the world premiere in Toronto, but I did see it in the cinema. <laughs> I'll never live that out. one down, will I? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it in cinema. I, I can't quite remember the experience, but of the key bits, such as the plot reveal, but in the UK, we tend to be a bit more muted, unless it's Endgame uh, or Infinity War. All three Spider-Man taking the screen at the same time, we, we tend to be a bit more reserved in the UK than on the other side of the pond. But I think that there was a palpable tension in the room of not knowing what's going on. And some of the shots, like I say, with the, the car shot going from the poor areas through to the through to his, his big mansion and just seeing the change in that step. And the focus not being on the car or people inside it, but the outside, it's just like, hey, this, this is why it's Steve Queen This is why this, this is happening. And those things work well in cinema. 3.5 then. Engagement score, Marshall.
3: I'll go like 4.8 on engagement. I think there are definitely some portions of the film that get a little bit plotty and I find myself leaning out a tiny bit in those, if only because they just don't match the deliriously high highs of the rest of the film. But I mean, a 4.8 is nothing to shake your head at. I think in terms of a (laughs) film that engages you mentally, sensorily, just a feast for the eyes and the ears, you are hard pressed to find anything that's, firing on this many cylinders with this level of production. Hafa?
2: I think it would have been more engaging if I had watched it at the world premiere, the Toronto Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but Who could have ever Watch done it? that? Gosh. <laughs> should smack that person. But,
2: <laughs> but I'm still... I'm feeling very generous today and I had so much fun with this film. Maybe it's because I've been watching some heavy films that have my being a bit slow, but I thought it was super engaging. I was so into it. So I'm going to give it a full five. I was just, I don't know. I, I keep saying I love plot twists, but I do love plot twists. And I think, Kobe, a little bit like you, I'm so dumb when it comes to plot twists. I watch so many films all the time and people would imagine that I would know exactly when they're coming, but I never do. I'm such an incredible audience for plot twists. (laughs) I just can't believe things are happening when they're happening. And I just love it. I am a sucker for it. So I was very engaged.
1: Helen?
0: Yeah, I think this is just like the perfect kind of length because there is a potential to kind of, they could have like added a bit more kind of explaining. And some of the things you just have to not really think about, if you think about it a little bit too much, the magic moves away. Like, how did they get that car so quickly? And like... Would that gentle bump really have caused that kind of impact? Anyway, don't think about that. So the the level of engagement needs to be that you're super engaged. You're enjoying. It's nifty, pacey, two hours and nine minutes, but you're not really deep thinking into could could because mm, mm, mm-hmm. it'll fall apart. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a five as well. Like I wasn't bored at all. Like I loved it.
3: I think, who is it? It's David Fincher who has a saying, something to the extent of, if I'm thinking about how practically it all works and I haven't done my job, because your brain should be on other things. If you're wandering to the point of picking it apart and thinking about the mechanics and that wasn't the intention, then I failed.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had discussions many times where people like focus on one part of a film. And I said, no, it's really bad because X, Y, Z, I'm like, well, basically, you just didn't like to film it, but that's the kind of thing you're zeroing in on, and you can't explain why it's not worked for you, but yeah, I completely get that. I'm going for an engagement score of five here. I think there's there's layers, but not they're not like intricate layers, but there's so many things going on at the same time. Helen, you talked about Elizabeth Debicki's character, Alice, and how she initially thinks she's a dumb blonde kind of trophy wife, but also... She's, I wouldn't say inexperienced, but, you know, having to get the car when she doesn't drive, she, she goes out and does it, you know, she goes out and does it, she goes and get these guns, uses so her wiles to get the guns, she works out how to get someone to give the details of the safe. And so she's not dumb, she's just pushed into a box, and people are like, this is who you are, and she kind of comes out of the box like a jack-o'-lantern, and she's the one that gets shot at the end in the heist, you know, and it's, so just taking her character, there's a lot that goes on with this one person. And I think it's very, very intriguing how that's played out. That gives an overall score of 4.52813, which is very decent, which is very good. And I think when we go to Twitter, that might tally with what people have said. In fact, should we go to Twitter? Let's go to Twitter. I refuse to say the new name. Guys, do follow us on Twitter. If you're listening to this is your first time, we are at FlixWatcherPod. And do follow us because we talk about stuff uh, about film and Netflix in general. But before a recording, we do put a shout out asking for you guys to give your opinion on the film and get a potential shout out. Look out for a tweet saying something similar to this. We're reviewing Widows with Hafiz and media underscore Marshall. Have you seen it? it? Tells your thoughts and the score out of five stars for an on shout out on our podcast. Can you pick the first one to read out, please, uh, Marshall, as this is... Your choice,
3: Lee Thomas said. Steve McQueen on all cylinders. It sounds like something I said. Some terrific shots, and the mostly <laughs> British and Irish cast are on top form. An extra half star for <laughs> Cynthia Revo in full flight. Woman
1: is rapid. Four point five. Look at that, Hafa, Do you get that? Do you have the other one there?
2: Yes. So Lee and H Dempsey said. Blistering crime cinema with an incredible cast and a powerhouse turn from Viola Davis, so epic that it practically causes the screen to jutter It's also the best Neeson has been in years, which I agree with. McQueen adds an interesting political edge to proceedings too, 4.5 stars. Yes, I do think it is the best that Neeson has been in quite some time.
1: Agreed. Best that Neeson and Michelle Rodriguez have been, so Yeah guys it's been a pleasure thank you very much for picking widows I've not seen it since the cinema and when you said it I was like yes yes of course I want to watch that again can you sign up for telling everyone where we can find you online and say goodbye to the listeners
3: sure you can find me online uh, at twitter provided it's still there at media underscore marshall but more durably you can find me on Substack both writing new content and compiling everything else I write at marshallandthemovies.substack.com
2: and you can find me on Twitter and basically everywhere else at Hafiz, R-A-F-I-E-W-S. And yeah, if you find me, say hello and thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I always love chatting to Marshall and I love chatting to you guys as well.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks for coming
1: Thanks. On. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. On. Bye.
0: Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixwatcherPod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you.